This hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, our Subcommittee on African Affairs and Global Health Policy will come to order. Uh, U.S. security assistance to Africa is especially relevant today given the, the complex security climate on the continent. Uh, according to the United Nations, conflicts have displaced more than 3.5 million people in the Sahel alone. Uh, that's double the number at this time last year. At the same time, unrest continues to plague the Democratic Republic of Congo, Central African Republic, Sudan, South Sudan. Groups such as Al-Shabaab, Boko Haram, and the Lord's Resistance Army continue to threaten partners in the region. That insecurity poses a threat to our own national security by creating a potential safe haven for terror groups. It also undermines efforts to foster economic growth and development by destabilizing institutions, discouraging investment, and destroying communities. From peacemaking, peacemaking to counterterrorism to promoting better civilian control of the military, the U.S. is heavily invested in fostering stability in Africa. Today, we'll examine the various components of this assistance. Now, in addition to existing programs, the administration announced two new security initiatives at the Africa Leaders Summit last August, the Security Governance Initiative and the African Peacekeeping Rapid Response Partnership, or APREP. We look forward to hearing about how these new, initi these new initiatives compare to existing training efforts and how the State Department guards against redundancy across accounts. We also look forward to hearing about the effectiveness of our efforts to promote security on the continent and the receptivity of Africans, uh, Africa's civilian and military leadership to security cooperation. Each of the witnesses today brings unique perspective to the issue at hand, and I have no doubt that uh, they will contribute greatly to the debate. I thank you for each, uh, all of you, for your time and for sharing your experience with uh, all of us. We look forward to your testimony. With that, uh, I'd like to recognize the distinguished minority member, Mr. Markey, for any comments he might have. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, very much, and uh, thank uh, all of you for the time you're going to give us today to discuss U.S. security sector assistance to Africa, which is an increasingly critical element of our efforts there. From Somalia to Nigeria, U.S. security sector assistance is part of our effort to combat terrorism and enable our partners to establish and secure governance. We rely on the State Department's leadership to explain and account for the overall strategic policy approach to security sector assistance in Africa. And we recognize that the State Department works closely with the Department of Defense and other agencies to form an integrated approach, and we value this cooperation. We are pleased to have representatives from both agencies here today in order to have as completed discussion about our strategic approach to this topic. Security sector efforts have a real impact on the ground and interagency coordination is essential to ensure that we are covering all the bases. Improving the safety and security of a society require many different players. Law enforcement and judicial reform, for example, are critical to reassuring people that their government takes everyday safety seriously. In outright conflict, the role of a peacekeeper can mean the difference between life and death for a civilian in need of protection. In fiscal year 2014, the State Department's budget for all of the accounts that contribute to the security sector in Africa totaled approximately just under $400 million. In fiscal year 2016, the request is closer to $500 million uh, before we factor in this new fund, the Counterterrorism Partnership Fund. I understand our private panel 
will attempt to untangle the various funding sources that make up this total. And I look forward to that testimony. Broadly speaking, these funds cover traditional peacekeeping assistance funds, law enforcement funds, and professional military training and assistance. And the bottom line is that the amount of funds requested and required for these purposes is increasing. At last year's Africa Leaders Summit, President Obama announced several security sector-focused initiatives for Africa. There is APREP, the African Peacekeeping Rapid Response Partnership, and the Security and Governance Initiative, for example. I look forward to hearing from our State Department witnesses how these new programs combine with existing ones to keep us moving towards a clear and articulated strategy on U.S. security assistance in Africa. As we tackle this issue today, I want to be clear about three basic requirements for U.S. security sector assistance in Africa. One, it must represent the very best of U.S. ideals abroad. Our support must reinforce the importance of strong democratic institutions. It must insist on the very highest standards in human rights, and it must never be used for the abuse of a population. Second, it must serve to mitigate threats against the United States and American citizens over overseas. Where we can help our allies counter violent extremism within their borders, we are contributing to our mutual security. And three, it must promote the ability of African countries and the African Union to account for their own domestic and regional security needs with growing in in independence from the donor community. We need the buy-in of our partners in the future of their security, and our programming must reflect this need. So I, again, thank you all for being here today, and I'm looking forward to your testimony. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Markey. Um, we'll go through the, this panel. Let me just tell you, we have votes uh, that will start in a couple of minutes. We're hoping to be able to just stagger it and uh, so we can keep this going. Um, and uh, I'll, uh, one of us will go vote and then the other, and so we can keep going. Um, we have this panel and then uh, one on the other one, but uh, um, all things, uh, it goes okay. We should be able to wrap up uh, in the time that we told you. Ambassador uh, Linda Thomas-Greenfield is the Assistant Secretary uh, for the Bureau of African Affairs. She's making a return trip, many return trip, uh, before this committee or subcommittee, and we appreciate that. Now, prior to this appointment, she served as Director General of the Foreign Service and Director of Human Resources. Uh, she has a 32-year Foreign Service career, including several posts in Washington and ambassadorship to Liberia, foreign postage in postings in Switzerland, uh, Pakistan, Kenya, the Gambia, Nigeria, and Jamaica. Um, now, Assistant Secretary Puneet Talwar uh, oversees the State Department's Bureau of Political Military Affairs, and he manages State Department, the State Department's global security relationships in, in turn, or I'm sorry, inter international security assistance and the negotiation of international security agreements. Mr. Talwar is uh, also the State Department's principal liaison with the Department of Defense. Before this current appointment, uh, he served as Special Assistant to the President and Senior Director for Iraq, uh, Iran, and the Gulf states at the National Security Council. If you're wondering how he knew which doors to walk in here, it's because he served as Chief uh, Middle East uh, Advisor for the Foreign Relations uh, Committee for a number of years. So welcome back. Amanda Dory uh, currently serves as Deputy Assistant Secretary for Defense, uh, or I'm sorry, for Defense for African Affairs in the Office of the Security, uh, 
sorry, the Office for the Secretary of Defense. Prior to this po position, she was Deputy Assistant Secretary uh, of Defense for Strategy. Ms. Dory has also been Chief of Staff uh, for the Irregular Welfare or Warfare and Building Partnership Capacity QDR Execution Roadmaps. She previously served as uh, Country Director for Southern Africa and for West Africa in the Office of the Secretary of Defense. Now on the next panel, uh, Lauren Blanchard is the uh, Specialist for African Affairs with CRS, where she provides nonpartisan analysis uh, for the African political, military, and diplomatic affairs. She has written extensively on security assistance and security issues uh, with U.S. military engagement on the continent. Uh, prior to joining CRS, she managed uh, democracy support initiatives in East and Southern Africa. She's also consulted on uh, constitutional reform efforts in Kenya and on developments of democratic institutions in Southern Sudan. Uh, welcome to all of you, and uh, if you could please keep your comments to about five minutes. Obviously, your testimony has entered into the record, and uh, if you could summarize, we'd appreciate it. Thank you. Ms. Greenfield. Thank you, Chairman. And Ranking Member Markey for uh, inviting me to testify at this hearing today on security assistance in Africa. And I also uh, very much appreciate your asking my colleagues from the Department of Defense and the Department of State's Bureau of Political and Military Affairs to join me at the witness table. Our partnership and our coordination are essential to any success that we achieve in Africa. Given fragility, conflict, and transnational security issues, the promotion of peace and security in Africa remains one of the United States' highest priority. And it's critical to reaching our democracy and governance, economic and development, and security goals on the continent. We are actively pursuing policies of partnership and partnership in ways to promote solutions that yield long-term results. In fiscal year 2014, the Department of State committed approximately 496 million in bilateral peace and security assistance to Sub-Saharan Africa. With the overarching goal of helping our African partners, our security, our security policy addresses three broad priorities. These are peacekeeping and the prevention of additional conflict, strengthening the security sector in partner states, and countering terrorism and other transnational threats. Through our bilateral and regional relationships, as well as through our engagement in the UN Security Council, we are focused on enhancing the capabilities of our African partners to prevent and respond to crisis. The administration remains committed to building African peacekeeping capacity at the regional, sub-regional, as well as national levels, including through the provision of advisors, training, equipment, and other assistance. Peacekeeping operations cr contribute to stability within the respective sub-regions as well as on the entire continent. We will continue to build the capacity of African military and police peacekeepers through programs like the International Peace Police Peacekeeping Operations Support Program and the Global Peace Operation Initiative and the Africa Contingency Operation Training and Assistance Program, which is primarily funded through GPOI. These initiatives, along with the new and complementary African Peacekeeping Rapid Response Partnership, APREP, that you refer to, uh, which focuses on strengthening critical gaps in rapid response capabilities, are critical for the long-term success of peace building on the continent. In the African context, we know that achieving our shared peace and security goals depends on cooperating with and strengthening our partner security institutions. 
That's why President Obama launched the Security Governance Initiative at the African Leaders Summit last August. SGI is a multi-year effort that will initially focus on six partner countries, Ghana, Kenya, Mali, Niger, Nigeria, and Tunisia. SGI provides us the opportunity to support partners to improve the management and accountability of security sector, which is linked to their ability to more effectively and efficiently deliver security and justice to their citizens. SGI also features a more holistic interagency approach for assisting our partners to more strategically and comprehensively address shared security challenges and emerging threats. The continued violence perpetrated by Al-Shabaab, Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, Boko Haram, and other terrorist group, groups on the continent of Africa continues to be of concern. We are strongly committed to assisting African countries to increase their capacity to address the immediate threats posed by terrorist organizations and to prevent terrorists from using the region to recruit, seek sanctuary, secure resources, and financing from their people. We are pursuing these goals primarily through the Trans-Sahara Counterterrorism Partnership and the Partnership for Regional East Africa Counterterrorism. Other transnational issues such as drug trafficking, maritime crime, wildlife trafficking are key issues that also demand our attention. Through U.S. assistance, African partners will be better able to adhere to international commitments and to contribute to global security. Mr. Chairman, on the Gulf of Guinea maritime security, we truly appreciate the resolution you sponsored last, uh, last Congress condemning maritime crime in the Gulf of Guinea, and we continue to work with our international and African partners in their efforts to implement the Yaoundé process out of the 2013 West and Central African States Maritime Summit in Cameroon. Finally, as I noted during my confirmation hearing in 2013, Governments that respect human rights, including women's rights and democratic norms, make stronger and more stable partners for economic growth, development, and peace and prosperity. This remains a critical issue for us. We continue to encourage security services to respect human rights and hold violators of human rights accountable because doing so promotes the legitimacy of these services, it improves the rule of law, and it undermines the extremist rhetoric calling on people to seek alternative justice systems. I look forward to receiving your questions. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Talwar. Chairman Flake, Ranking Member Markey, thank you very much. And I commend uh, you for uh, focusing on this critical topic. It's a pleasure to be back before the committee today. And as you mentioned, I spent a considerable amount of time here, about a dozen years or more, sitting on the benches behind you, actually staffing the vice president. and. As I, if I could just add as a personal note, as I sit on this side of the dais, um, uh, the tragic loss of uh, Bo uh, weighs uh, very heavily. Uh, Bo was simply one of the finest uh, people that I have, um, one of the finest human beings I have known, uh, and I join all of you in uh, mourning his loss. Mr. Chairman, in Africa, we see a region that is increasingly taking charge of its own security. We welcome the efforts to provide African solutions to African security challenges. We've made substantial progress in addressing instability in Africa, yet challenges remain. As you mentioned, conflict persists in the Central African Republic, Democratic Republic of Congo, Mali, Somalia, and South Sudan. Terrorist groups such as Al-Qaeda and the Islamic Maghreb, Al-Shabaab and Boko Haram threaten the regional and international order. Many countries have difficulty monitoring their maritime domain 
leading to piracy and illegal fishing. Narcotics trafficking fuels corruption and undermines governments. These challenges point to the need for strong government institutions, and we are committed to helping our African partners build these institutions and reform their security sectors. We want to work closely with you to achieve four main goals for our security assistance in Africa. First, we want to build peacekeeping capacity. Second, we want to build military capabilities related to counterterrorism operations. Third, we want to support the professionalization efforts of African militaries to have greater respect for human rights, the rule of law, and civilian control of the military. And fourth, we want to help African partners police their maritime domain and combat other transnational threats like poaching. The challenges are complex, and the goals we have set require that we work together across our government. And I'd like to take a quick moment to describe how we coordinate our efforts. Our planning process begins with the joint regional strategies, which are developed in Washington in consultation with our embassies abroad. Under the joint regional strategy, each embassy creates its own integrated country strategy, which outlines the U.S. government's goals and objectives in each country, country by country. The Department of Defense also makes its recommendations for most security assistance programs based on its own planning. And then my bureau convenes annually in the spring roundtables where we bring together all the key players in the interagency and we set our priorities, we define our roles and our responsibilities. And this process ultimately yields the budget request that makes its way to you. Now there are a number of mechanisms by which we deliver security assistance to Africa. This means that we not only need to stay coordinated, but also that we carefully monitor and evaluate the impact of our security assistance. Mr. Chairman, let me highlight briefly a few examples of where our security assistance has made a difference. First, in response to the 2013 uh, insurgency in Mali, we provided food, fuel, and water to African troops within a month of their deployment to ensure they could operate in the harsh desert environment. Second, the United States has provided airlift and refueling services for French counterterrorism operations across the Sahel. This is a good example of burden sharing, and it's one that ultimately means less, less expenditures for the United States. Third, for the Trans-Saharan Counterterrorism Partnership Program, we are providing critical training and equipment to our partners so they can fight the terrorist threats in the Lake Chad Basin and the Sahel. Finally, Mr. Chairman, I want to take this opportunity to ask for your continued support in two areas. First, major procurements, such as aircraft, require years of sustainment, including spare parts, maintenance, and training. The costs of sustainment can actually, and often are actually, much greater than the initial investment. We don't have sufficient funding to sustain major systems in Africa, so we're asking for a $9 million increase in foreign military financing for Africa counterterrorism sustainment in fiscal year 2016 to meet part of this requirement. Second, I'd also, like, I'd also greatly appreciate your support to fully fund our request for a $2.4 million increase in IMET, which allows us to train future military leaders who understand the United States and our values. Mr. Chairman, 
Ranking Member Markey, I look forward to working closely with the Committee on Security Assistance Programs in Africa, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Dory. Thank you, Chairman Flake, Ranking Member Markey. It's a pleasure to be here today alongside my State Department colleagues to speak to the critical importance of security assistance for Africa. The Department of Defense implements security assistance in accordance with the Presidential Policy Directive 16, which is the U.S. strategy towards Sub-Saharan Africa, as well as the Presidential Policy Directive 23 on security sector assistance. We focus the majority of our assistance in Africa on building African security force capacity and defense institutions to support peacekeeping, crisis response, as well as combating transnational threats. These threats, if left unchecked, could potentially negatively impact the safety and economic prosperity of U.S. citizens and international partners. Modest, proactive investments in the development of professional security forces are an essential component of establishing strong, effective, and prosperous partner states with shared values and interests. Department of Defense has embraced security cooperation in Africa as a practical tool for addressing a range of security challenges. Our strategic approach continues to focus on working by, with, and through African partners and international organizations to address these challenges. Over the past five years, Congress has substantially increased security cooperation appropriations related to Africa. And within the Department of Defense, allocations for Africa have also increased. Together, this resulted in an increased allocation of core Title X security cooperation funds in Africa from approximately 50 million in fiscal year 2010 to approximately 380 million in fiscal year 2014. This funding increase was principally driven by increased efforts to enhance African counterterrorism capacity through train and equip authorities. We've also seen increased support for security partners during crisis response. For example, in Mali and in Central African Republic through DOD support under Presidential Drawdown Authority. But to put these resources in context, DOD appropriated security assistance represents about 30% and Department of State approximately 70% of total security sector assistance over this period from fiscal 10 to fiscal 2014. Additionally, security assistance represents about one-sixth of all U.S. government foreign assistance in Africa, with the majority of our assistance going to economic development and public health. In fiscal year 15, the Department of Defense has also participated in the development of three White House security cooperation initiatives in Africa. We've already touched briefly on the Security Governance Initiative and the African Peacekeeping Rapid Response Partnership. Additionally, we are working closely with State Department and the White House on the Counterterrorism Partnerships Fund, or CTPF. We fully support the broader U.S. government commitment to develop African partners and regional organizations' ability to rapidly and effectively respond to crises through APREP. And DOD is working closely with State Department and other government agencies on the Security Governance Initiative to support development of African security sector establishments. SGI, along with the Africa Military Education Program and other defense institution building programs, are increasingly important as we look to reinforce our capacity building efforts to yield long-term partnerships with capable African militaries. Also this fiscal year, Department of Defense is implementing the President's Counterterrorism Partnerships Fund. DOD intends, pending congressional notification, to spend approximately $466 million in fiscal year 15 in the Sahel, 
Maghreb, Lake Chad Basin, and Horn of Africa on both key U.S. enablers and capacity building efforts with partners. The department is seeking an additional request in fiscal year 16 funds for both Africa and the Middle East. And as you're aware, State Department also has a fiscal year 16 CTPF request that would focus on strengthening partner nation law enforcement and judicial responses. CTPF is an indispensable tool for assisting resource-challenged but willing partners with sufficient resources and expertise to counter a shared and growing terrorist threat. In no area is the importance of close and continual DOD coordination with State Department more important than counterterrorism. We must ensure that our efforts to build partner nation military capacity are balanced with other security sector priorities. A strengthened military fully proficient and capable of conducting counterterrorism operations cannot take the place of African law enforcement, border security forces, and criminal justice systems that deliver justice in the eyes of their populations. Likewise, it cannot substitute for USAID-led activities to generate economic opportunities and alternative narratives to extremist ideologies. DOD also relies heavily on the State Department with respect to long-term sustainment of its counterterrorism capacity building. In closing, DOD relies on essential day-to-day -day support provided by U.S. embassies in Africa and America's unsung heroes, the frontline foreign service officers and embassy teams serving alongside uniformed service members in harm's way to keep America safe. Effective security cooperation requires a balanced approach with other sectors of partner security enterprise and right-sizing of state and USAID funding to ensure our efforts are aligned and proportional to achieve desired policy goals. Thank you very much, and I look forward to the conversation and discussion. Uh, thank you all. It looks like votes are supposed to start about now, so we'll see how they come and see how we can move forward. But uh, I'll start the, the questioning, and thank you for your testimony. Ambassador Thomas Greenfield, you recently traveled to Nigeria uh, to witness the installation of a new president. Um, and. Uh, <coughs> it looks as if we'll have a better security arrangement and agreement uh, with that country now. Can you talk about that and see where we uh, explain where you think we're going? Uh, thank you very much. It really was an honor to uh, attend the inauguration of the new president of Nigeria. And, and uh, let me just say here that uh, the successful election uh, in Nigeria bodes well for, uh, uh, for us on the continent of Africa. Nigeria is the uh, sixth largest democracy in the world. It's the largest democracy on the continent of Africa. And I think seeing Nigeria work uh, as a democracy will send very positive messages across the continent. Uh, we have been working very closely with the Nigerian government on addressing the threats that they face uh, from Boko Haram. It was a complicated relationship uh, uh, during the previous administration that didn't always work well. Uh, but we were cooperating uh, with that government and uh, doing our best to assist them in uh, addressing uh, the uh, terrorist threat that they were facing. Uh, given the complications of the relationship working with the Nigerians directly, we also work with Nigeria's neighbors in uh, the Lake Chad Basin, providing assistance to the government of Chad, to the government of uh, Niger, as well as the government of Cameroon, bilaterally, and we supported uh, AU efforts to set up the multinational uh, task force and work closely with our European partners in the P3, uh, the French, and, and the uh, UK. 
uh, with the new government. Uh, we are optimistic that we can reset the relationship with the government. Uh, as you may have heard in the speech that President Buhari gave, he indicated that addressing the situation in the North with Boko Haram, dress, addressing security is his highest priority. Uh, we want to uh, work with him, and we have uh, expressed that to him. Uh, Secretary Kerry had a bilateral meeting with him during the inauguration, and we're looking to send a team out uh, to Nigeria early. Uh, in the next few weeks to start working with the new government on how we might uh, better coordinate our efforts in addressing Boko Haram. Have they made a commitment to increase their resources in terms of uh, uh, their own military? And it was quite, uh, I'm sure, embarrassing for them when uh, it seemed uh, neighboring countries uh, with a fraction of the resources that Nigeria has uh, seemed to be more effective against Boko Haram than they were. Uh, what kind of internal commitments is the new president making? Uh, he certainly committed both uh, publicly and privately that he intends to do everything possible uh, to address the situation uh, in terms of resources and as well as staff. He has just appointed the new uh, person who uh, will be in the multinational task force from Nigeria. He's someone we've worked with and we feel uh, that he will be a positive force uh, on the multinational task force. I, I think he's been in office for less than a week, uh, and I think he's still looking at, uh, at his resources, but I think it's, uh, it bodes well that his first uh, trip out of Nigeria was to Chad and Niger uh, to uh, work with those two countries, and I understand he plans to go to Cameroon as well to see how they can better coordinate. Thank you. Mr. Talwar, you mentioned uh, maritime security. I think all of you have. Um, the concern has been, obviously, that uh, it was a real problem for an extended period of time. The Horn of Africa, um, that has abated somewhat, but uh, the concern has been that it would move to the Gulf of Guinea. Um, what is the trajectory, uh, as you see it right now, for uh, lawlessness uh, um, or piracy uh, in that area? Um, I know that's a concern of ours. and. Uh, it was mentioned that we passed a resolution on that uh, topic. Uh, where do you see that going? Do we have sufficient resources and focus there? Uh, thanks, Mr. Chairman. And I do commend you for uh, the work on that resolution and pointing to a really important problem. Um, sometimes a comparison is made between um, the Horn of Africa and the Gulf of Guinea. In fact, they're, they're very different problems. Um, off the Horn of Africa, and, and thankfully, you know, thanks to our efforts um, and the efforts of the international community, we haven't had a successful um, uh, boarding of a uh, commercial vessel in over two years now. Uh, and, but the focus has to remain there because uh, uh, those folks could come back any time. Um, but it's largely a problem in international waters uh, that we face there. In uh, the Gulf of Guinea, the problem, as you know, is primarily in territorial waters. And what it points to is what uh, my colleagues and I talked about uh, this morning and what you flagged, and that's uh, the question of um, governing institutions uh, and the ability uh, to tackle this as a criminal enterprise, largely. Um, and there are efforts uh, that we have underway uh, on that front, but that's really where the focus needs to be because, as you pointed out in your resolution, uh, uh, this sort of activity is, is undercutting revenues and economic growth and investment opportunities um, and an overall sense of law and order um, in, in the, the countries that are affected. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Ms. Dory, um, much of our uh, military assistance in Africa, obviously, is directed at international organizations and and uh, um, other regional groups that already exist. 
how is that working out in your view? Um, we, uh, do we have the cooperation that we need? Um, what areas do we need to work on in terms of our international partners? Because uh, uh, there are very few examples where we're acting alone in Africa. Senator Flake, maybe I would, would um, pick up from, from where my colleague left off to answer your question, thinking about the challenge of transnational threats that have to be addressed in a regional fashion for coherence, but our partnerships are, are implemented and executed on a, on a bilateral basis. And so the necessity as a U.S. government of, of operating at, at a continental scale at times, at a regional scale at times, and then certainly always at the, the bilateral level. And just in the Gulf of Guinea context, for example, we're, we're tackling both at, at the regional level with respect to the two regional organizations, ECOWAS and, and ECAS, to harmonize institutional frameworks and codes of conduct with respect to the issues of, of piracy in the Gulf. So kind of institutional work at a regional level, even while we're working at a bilateral level on individual maritime capacity building efforts, whether it's maritime domain awareness, whether it's the ability to project uh, power to, to address particular incidents. And there have been an, a number of successes where we can point to partner nations who are using uh, vessels that have been provided by the United States or making use of maritime domain awareness equipment uh, to, to interdict successfully various um, pirate incidents and, and others in the Gulf of Guinea. But that, that type of model is the type of model that we see time and again, whether it's at sea or, or on land. Is there a three-month course over at State just to learn all the acronyms for all these security arrangements? That's uh, what I'm wondering, because I need to take that one. But, <laughs> but anyway, uh, turn to Senator Markey. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, very much. And you know what I would like, Mr. Chairman? Um, you know, I, I chaired telecommunications <clears throat> over in the House for many years, and what I did was I actually declared an acronym-free zone <laughs> in our committee. Um, just so that everyone would be forced to speak in easily understandable English, uh, because it is easily understandable, uh, but the acronyms make it inaccessible. So I would, um, I would ask each of our witnesses to try to stay out of acronyms and to try to put it in English so that even the least well-informed American who's watching this on C-SPAN can understand it. Uh, and so please be mindful of that. And if the ranking member will excuse me for a minute. No, absolutely. And, and promises not to stage a coup, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll uh, <clears throat> go and vote and uh, return. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're creating the kind of harmony here that, uh, you know, that uh, <clears throat> we're encouraging to exist between state and defense. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, um, so let me uh, ask you this, um, Secretary Dory. Uh, I would like to go back to uh, Nigeria and Boko Haram. Um, we have had limited results in our cooperation with Nigeria in the past, but we might be seeing a turn towards a more proactive approach against uh, Boko Haram, given Nigeria's recently elected uh, president. The Nigerian military has acted, taking the fight to Boko Haram in their strongest territories, freeing hundreds of kidnapped Nigerian citizens in the process. While this is seen as a helpful development, we still need to closely examine the kind of partnership we hope to have with those we support, particularly when we are discussing military partnerships. In a recent Amnesty International report, Nigeria's military is alleged to be committing war crimes against their own citizens under the veil of combating Boko Haram. 
supporting partners in an effort to combat violence and human rights violations when they themselves are committing similar acts against innocence is not a recipe for success by any measure. What are DOD's short-term and long-term goals in supporting the Nigerian government's efforts against Boko Haram? How do the recent reports of the Nigerian military's human rights abuses impact or affect the, these goals and our partnership with Nigeria? Thank you, Senator. We are, we are very aware of the, the report recently released by Amnesty International and, and the allegations that have persisted for some time with respect to human rights abuses by elements of the, the Nigerian military and other elements of the, the security services. And I think as Assistant Secretary Thomas Greenfield mentioned, this has been a part of our dialogue over time, both privately and publicly with the Nigerian government, with, with all elements of the Nigerian government. <clears throat> and it will be fundamental to our ability to work together going forward because the, the shared interests and the shared values have to be there at the foundation of our of our uh, relationship with the Nigerians going forward. So I think in the in the very near term, we we are giving time and space for the new president to put in place his leadership team uh, to see what changes are are made, if any, with respect to the the Nigerian military <clears throat> leadership. Uh, depending on on how that settles out, it will give us then opportunities to begin to to reengage with with the new leadership team and to understand what their priorities are, uh, if their priorities include, in addition to, of course, addressing robustly the, the issue of Boko Haram within their borders and beyond, but whether there's also a commitment to addressing these, these longstanding concerns and our ability as the Department of Defense or State Department to engage in a security relationship. As you know, sir, the, the Leahy human rights considerations would prevent us from, from working and collaborating in a training relationship or an equipping relationship with uh, military members who, who have any uh, accusations with respect to human rights. Okay. Yeah, thank you, Secretary. Uh, let me go back over to you, uh, Ambassador Thomas Greenfield. Uh, what are we doing to improve how the African Union deals with sexual abuse and exploitation by its peacekeeping troops? How do the training programs we fund for these peacekeepers address that issue. Thank you. We've uh, just uh, dealt with a case uh, like that with the African Union uh, related to uh, Burundi and Ugandan troops in uh, Somalia. And our immediate uh, approach is to uh, demarche the African Union and those countries that are involved to ensure that they investigate and hold accountable uh, anyone who is involved in sexual abuse. Uh, peacekeepers are there to protect, uh, and any abuse of that uh, authority has to be addressed very quickly or they lose the confidence of, of the people. In the recent case, the African Union did carry out a, a, a very thorough investigation, and we were pleased in the case of Uganda that <coughs> Uganda also carried out an investigation and held uh, their troops accountable. Uh, we uh, also worked with the Burundi government. They didn't respond as we would have wanted them to respond, 
but DOD sent out a team to work with the Burundi Army uh, in the training elements to ensure that they got uh, the kind of training that they needed to address human rights concern and concerns, and that's built into our training, uh, the idea of sexual exploitation, the training that we do with all of the troops that we're working with on the continent of Africa. This is a very serious uh, concern for us, and it's something that we immediately uh, respond to when we hear reports. Okay. Well, um, I, I think it's just an important issue for them to understand that uh, we're dead serious about it. Secretary Dory, I'm growing more concerned about the potential for militarization of U.S. foreign policy in Africa. By that, I mean, are we obscuring the importance of issues like democratic growth and good governance as we continue to tackle the real security concerns on the continent. In 2015, the administration sought creation of the Counterterrorism Partnership Fund. Uh, the fiscal year 2015, the Counterterrorism Partnership Fund for uh, totaled $1.3 billion, and DOD plans to spend $460 million of that amount in Africa. In the fiscal year 2016 requests, the Counterterrorism Partnership Fund requests for DOD is now $2.1 billion, and $1.27 billion of that is meant for Africa, East Africa, the Lake Chad Basin, and Northwest Africa terrorist hotspots. For the State Department in fiscal year 2016, security sector funds hover somewhere around the $400 to $500 million range for its primary programs. If Congress grants DOD's counterterrorism partnership fund request, and the funds are ultimately obligated as the administration proposals, then this one fund will outsize all of the State Department administered security sector funds, and that's by a large amount. I realize it's not always easy to compare funding levels like apples to apples, but from where you sit overseeing DOD's policy in Africa, can you understand my concern? Do you see this dramatic imbalance between state and DOD as a good thing for our approach to Africa? Secretary Dory. Thank you, Senator. Uh, I share your concern which is part of the reason in my statement where I've drawn attention to the, the request for the State Department CTPF request as well. And there was a fiscal 15 CTPF request for the, for the State Department too. And the, the concern is that if we focus exclusively on militaries and we neglect the, the other elements referred to in terms of law enforcement, judicial systems, civilian engagement, uh, then, then we will indeed have an imbalance in terms of our approach. Okay, thank you. Um, just so that I will be able to make this roll call on the Senate floor with some confidence, what I'm going to do is just declare a, uh, a brief recess. Uh, the chairman will be returning uh, momentarily, and then we'll just uh, recontinue uh, the hearing. So this, uh, this uh, committee stands in a brief recess. All right. Thank you. No, no coup happened while I was gone. Okay, still in charge here. All right, good. Thank you. And uh, when the bell <clears throat> sounds over there, we're like Pavlov's dogs. We just run over and and, and vote. So thank you for, for waiting. Um, 
I'm not sure uh, what all uh, Senator Markey touched on, but uh, let me talk or ask a, a little bit about. Um, we've long provided uh, security assistance on the continent. This is for you, Ambassador uh, Thomas Greenfield, uh, under the premise that exposure to U.S. best practices uh, and our civilian-led military will lead to great security in the region. And uh, Mr. Talwar, you mentioned also the value of training programs, and we've certainly seen that in the past. Um, yet in, in Mali, uh, Burkina Faso, and possibly Burundi, uh, U.S.-trained actors were involved in, uh, shall we say, extra-democratic uh, transitions. Uh, how can we be confident that uh, U.S. assistance will foster stability rather than aid to the problems? Those are examples where it didn't work, and we have lots of examples where it has worked. But let me say on those three examples, sir, we actually were able to communicate directly with uh, those individuals who were involved because we, we know them, uh, having gone through uh, uh, training or having had contacts uh, with them. And we were able, particularly in the Burundi case, to say that you have to turn over authority to civilians. Mm -hmm. uh, we have made clear in every case where there's been an unlawful attempt to uh, obtain power uh, that we do not support that. In the case of Burundi uh, recently, uh, I think we have been somewhat um, uh, astonished at the restraint that the military has shown despite the uh, attempted coup attempt. Uh, but in dealing with the uh, other military that we uh, are working with, that they have shown uh, some restraint. And we certainly have seen that uh, because we, uh, Burundi's, uh, Burundian military are participating in peacekeeping operations and they don't want anything uh, to interfere with their ability to uh, uh, continue to be part of that because that is, it's, it's in jeopardy uh, if they don't uh, uh, act in, in a, in a way that reflects the values that we have tried to uh, share with them uh, through the through the training, but this is a, a concern, uh, and it's a concern that um, uh, these militaries are aware of, and they know that if they carry out acts of violence, that they jeopardize any possibility of any support uh, from the U.S. government. Burundi has, in fact, suspended their cooperation or their uh, participation in the peacekeeping operations in Somalia, have they, haven't they? No, no, sir, they have not. Okay. Uh, they are still p uh, participating in the peacekeeping operations, but we've uh, also let them know that as the military continues, uh, that we're watching the military very closely. And it's in jeopardy if the military uh, in Burundi uh, take any actions that uh, will uh, raise some questions about uh, how much they are participating in the violence, what kinds of human rights violations they are uh, involved in. But they are still, they're, they're very much a part of the, uh, and an essential part of our Somali uh, Amazon operation. Great. Some of the uh, areas of, you talk about some successes, uh, seen some modicum of success, at least in the Eastern Congo. Mr. Talwar, do you want to talk about the situation there and where you feel it's going? Um, Thanks, uh, Mr. Chairman. I actually uh, would defer to my colleague, uh, um, Ambassador uh, Thomas Greenfield, who can talk more specifically about the situation um, uh, in Eastern Congo. Um, I would say that we do have uh, some ongoing efforts um, in that area on the security side, but I think I'd defer to her on the on the diplomatic piece. It's It's been a, a work in progress in, in dealing with the uh, uh, DRC uh, military. 
we have seen some behavioral uh, changes on the positive side. Uh, at the same time, we still uh, continue to uh, uh, be concerned about uh, their approach, particularly in dealing with the civilian population. As you know, the statistics have shown that the number of rapes and attacks on civilians uh, there have uh, been extraordinary. And uh, we are continuing to work with the government, and we were pleased that they actually carried out an investigation recently, signed an MOU that indicated that they would no longer uh, be involved in, uh, in, in attacks against uh, uh, civilian populations, particularly using uh, uh, rape as a tool of, uh, a tool of war. Mm -hmm. The Lord's Resistance Army a couple of years ago was the talk of the town. Um, there's a lot more focus on it now. Can you talk about uh, what the current status is and uh, if we can declare success there? We're not ready to d declare success, but we are uh, very, very proud of the accomplishments we've made uh, uh, thus far. Uh, they are no longer uh, attacking villages. Uh, the second-in-command has uh, been uh, uh, taken to the ICC uh, in The Hague, and it's only the top leader who is left, and we will continue our efforts working closely with the Ugandan governments and other governments in the region until, until he's captured. Uh, Amanda, would you like to add something on that? Thank you. If, if I could, uh, Senator, as, as Ambassador Thomas Greenfield was indicating, four of the five top leaders are no longer on the, the battlefield for a variety of reasons, and the core fighting force of the LRA has, has been shrunken considerably uh, and has, has really discarded many of the, the family members uh, and is down to a relatively small core, maybe a tenth of its original size. So from that perspective, I, I think we, we feel very pleased with the effort. It, of course, relies on the, the regional militaries in, in the first instance uh, with the U.S. role in, in an advisory and assistance capacity. And as, as long as the, the partner will is there to persist, we'll, we'll be there as well. Okay. Um, some in the NGO community have asserted that Uganda is playing a less than helpful role uh, in South Sudan. They're one of our the six APREP partners. Uh, can you address that? What are we doing? Are we putting pressure on them, if need be, to, uh, to, uh, to play a positive role? Or one, would you agree with the assertion that they've uh, played a complicating role, put it that way? I would say they are playing a complicating role. I think uh, all of the countries in the region have interests uh, that uh, are being played out in in South Sudan. And yes, we have been in regular contact with the government of Uganda as well as other governments in the region to uh, urge that they uh, uh, be more uh, proactive in trying to find a solution to peace in the region. Uh, the real problem are the two fighters, the two, the two leaders on both sides, getting them to the negotiating table. But it would help to get them to the negotiating table if they know that they have, uh, they've lost the support of, uh, of regional partners. And that's uh, a challenge that we will continue to push uh, these leaders on uh, addressing. Thank you, Mr. Talwar, or Ms. Dory. Um, we signed a long-term uh, agreement with Djibouti. Um, they have a base there, or make use of the base there. I have 
a brother that uh, just spent, uh, I think, four months stationed there. How is that arrangement going? Um, there was a Washington Post article a while ago about the, maybe the, the uh, challenges in terms of, uh, of uh, safety at that airfield and, and whatnot. Can you talk about that and how important that is for, uh, for the region? Senator, I'd be glad to. The, the uh, Camp Lemonnier uh, location, our, our only enduring location on the African <coughs> continent, is, is critical, as, as you know, based on its geographic location and the support it provides to, to multiple uh, departments, agencies, and combatant commands. Our relationship with the Djiboutians has really been strengthened in the course of working together to, to update the implementing agreement that relates to our, our presence at Camp Lemigny. And I would characterize our relationship at this point as, as very strong and productive. We welcomed a very senior ministerial level delegation from Djibouti uh, early in the calendar year to Washington for the first time as part of a new binational forum that we've established with Djibouti that brings Defense, State Department, and USAID to the table to, to address the, the range of, of partnerships that we have with the Djiboutians. The, the, the military piece is perhaps the most visible, but the, the part that is really the most important to the government of Djibouti is the potential for, for jobs creation uh, in an economy that, that is really struggling uh, and, and being able to, to provide jobs for, for a growing population. Thank you. Well, thank you. Turning now uh, for a minute to the budget request, you know, much of the U.S. assistance is intended to build African capacity, as we've talked about, in carrying out peacekeeping and stability operations. But uh, given the prevalence of instability in many of the countries that we deal with, I mentioned some here, Nigeria, Burundi, Mali, um, how confident can we be that uh, these countries can absorb uh, U.S. assistance and uh, reliably protect what we want protected. Uh, we've talked about some of this already, but, uh, but from our perspective here, that's an assurance that we have to feel comfortable with. And um, you know, with, like I said, with a lot of the instability going on, um, it's sometimes difficult to sell to our constituents. Do you want to talk about that, Ambassador? For, for me and for the Africa Bureau, the important element of security uh, that we don't get enough funding for is stability and in, in democracy. Uh, because it is stable countries that respect uh, uh, democratic values and rule of law where you will see less conflict and less insecurity. Uh, so I would like to see us put more effort, as we did in the case of Nigeria, on supporting their election helping to build the capacity of the election commission and their uh, NGO monitoring teams to monitor the elections so that they could deliver a free and fair and transparent election that all of the people of Nigeria felt comfortable with. That's the key to security all over Africa. And so no amount of money we put into security assistance that is just building up militaries uh, will have complete success until governments are stable <clears throat> and respect the rule of law. That said, there are countries we're working to help them build their capacity to uh, handle the security assistance that we are providing them. They are willing partners in almost all the cases that we 
uh, work with them on because they see the threat that the uh, that terrorism and insecurity, uh, the threat that that uh, uh, is to their society and and to their people, uh, and uh, they want to work with us. Uh, they have uh, worked very closely with the AU in terms of standing up uh, an AU capacity to provide support for security assistance, and we're working closely with the AU in terms of developing that capacity as well. Well, thank you. How can we get sure that um, you know that we hear these new security initiatives, a few rolled out at the Africa Leader Summit? Uh, how can we uh, be sure that they're just not uh, repackaging of old programs? I can tell you, we've talked about the acronyms uh, from us here. Uh, we've got several going that we're contributing to, and all of a sudden we roll out a few more. Uh, do they take the place of? Do they are they consistent with? Are they in addition to? It's sometimes difficult uh, on this side to to understand uh, why a new initiative is needed, um, and if it uh, is simply draining resources away from from others. Why are these new initiatives uh, needed? The rapid response, uh, for example. Thank you for that question. Actually, we consulted very closely with our African uh, partners as we developed these new initiatives. And we looked at areas where we could complement our already existing programs. And these two new programs complement those. The Security Governance Initiative gives us the opportunity to work on security governance actually building the capacity for justice sector. It's broader than military. It's broader than equipment. It's about building the government's capacity to govern its own security apparatus. Mm -hmm. And uh, we think it complements our, our other programs. On APREP that is being managed uh, by the PM Bureau, uh, African countries have always uh, stood up when we've needed uh, when we've needed uh, security, peacekeeping uh, uh, troops. But we can't deploy them fast enough. Uh, they uh, are not trained. Uh, they're not equipped. And APREP helps us in responding to needs that are not being addressed through, through our other programs. Let's talk a minute about Central African Republic. Um, it's been a long slog there. Can you uh, give a current uh, assessment of where we are. I'm guardedly optimistic about Central African Republic, and the guardedly is in bold and uh, highlighted. Uh, they uh, had a dialogue um, that was sponsored by the government recently, and it was, uh, it was relatively successful. They've agreed to delay the elections because they're, they're not ready for the elections, mm -hmm. to, to be very frank. Uh, and the elections will take place at the end of the year. But I think broadly what we heard during the dialogue from the vast majority of people is that they want peace. And they are prepared to uh, invest uh, in peace, keep the transitional government in place now to hopefully uh, lead to peaceful elections and a transition. There are still some uh, negative forces out there uh, who are, are trying their best to uh, scuttle any efforts to bring peace to the country and we're working to, to address that as well with our partners from, uh, from the AU as well as uh, EU and uh, French and UK. Well, uh, the committee thanks you for your uh, testimony here today and uh, willingness to answer questions. And again, sorry about the, the schedule that we have here. But uh, this is uh, very illuminating and uh, very helpful to us and appreciate uh, 
your testimony and look forward to the second panel. So Good. you're dismissed. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Blanchard. Uh, please proceed. You've been introduced. So right. thank you for being here and look forward to your testimony. Thank you. Chairman Flake, uh, thank you for inviting CRS to testify. I'd ask that my written statement, excuse me, um, which has a lot more detail on the security assistance programs, trends, and funding levels be submitted for the record. Um, today's uh, discussion is very timely, and I really appreciate uh, the committee's um, effort to bring, uh, bring this attention uh, bring this issue some attention. We spent a lot of time on it. Um, driven by growing counterterrorism concerns and other security priorities, we're now seeing a major increase in U.S. security assistance to Africa. Long considered an important foreign policy tool, U.S. officials increasingly view security assistance as a strategic instrument to mitigate potential national security threats and to reduce the possibility that U.S. forces might be required to intervene overseas. From northeast Nigeria and Libya to Somalia, state weakness and instability have contributed to environments in which we are seeing violent extremists uh, able to expand their reach across borders and share tactics, training, weapons with like-minded groups in the region. Three years ago, there were four African-based groups that were designated by the State Department as foreign terrorist organizations. Today, there are 12. At least one, Al-Shabaab, has attracted Western recruits, including U.S. citizens. Fragile states and undergoverned spaces pre present the international community with other potential threats from maritime piracy to illicit trafficking. Recent conflicts have taken a massive human toll, and they're very costly. In South Sudan, the United States has provided over a billion dollars so far in emergency relief aid in the past year and a half to stem the humanitarian crisis caused by that country's return to conflict. Conflicts like these threaten to erode or erase the development investments that the United States and other donors have made, and they place a broader strain on neighboring countries. African conflicts dominate the UN Security Council agenda, and more than 80% of the UN peacekeepers deployed today are serving in operations in Africa. 20 years ago, DOD saw little strategic, s traditional strategic security interest in Africa. Large military aid allocations were made in the 1980s to counter Soviet influence, but U.S. military casualties in Somalia in 1993 took a toll on American willingness to intervene directly in African conflicts. By the 1990s, security assistance was shifting towards a focus on conflict prevention and building African forces' capacity to, to, to keep the peace. But the 1998 embassy bombings in East Africa and the 9-11 attacks, along with subsequent terrorist activity in the region, have changed U.S. perceptions. Security assistance 
assistance spending in Africa has since been on the rise, notably in response to perceived terrorist threats. Security assistance still comprises a small percentage of the overall U.S. foreign aid to Africa, but both have grown considerably. In 1985, uh, security assistance comprised about 17% of total aid to Africa, but at the time, the total was just under a billion dollars, or roughly two billion in today's dollars. By uh, FY14, in comparison, total aid to Africa was about 7.8 or more, uh, with security assistance comprising roughly 10% of total aid, uh, but about $800 million. Of that figure, about $500 million right now, um, has, or, or in FY14, came from the State Department funds, uh, and about $300 million came under DOD authorities. Security figure, assistance figures don't tell the whole story, of course. U.S. military engagement on the continent has been growing in the past decade, and African militaries benefit from a growing range of activities and joint exercises with U.S. forces that are very difficult to quantify in dollar terms. A large portion of security assistance today supports efforts to counter violent extremist groups on the continent. The large, largest share <coughs> excuse me, supports African forces fighting al-Shabaab in Somalia. U.S. support for that effort has totaled more than $1.4 billion in the past decade, primarily through the State Department's Peacekeeping Operations, or PKO, account, uh, but increasingly supplemented by DOD using legal authorities that Congress has, been, Congress has given DOD to build the capacity of counterterrorism partners around the world, and particularly in East Africa. Without donor support, security gains against al-Shabaab in the past five years would likely not have been possible. But the mission is not over. Al-Shabaab continues to pose a threat, increasingly in neighboring Kenya and other parts of East Africa, and Somalia is far from stable. DOD counterterrorism and aid, aid to East African countries has averaged between 40 and $60 million annually in the past five years. Planned and proposed assistance to Nigeria and its neighbors to counter Boko Haram appears set to represent a sizable new DOD infusion of military aid to that region, and DOD and State Department both, con both continue to allocate significant counterterrorism resources to the Sahel. The new Counterterrorism Partnership Fund, or C2PF, uh, could represent a doubling of the U.S. security assistance spending in Africa relative to FY14 if the funds requested are appropriated and obligated as proposed. If Congress concurs with the administration's assessment of the threats in Africa, questions for oversight center on whether the U.S. response is appropriately calibrated to meet them. In a tight budget environment, questions on the return to investment also arise. For answers, Congress may look to how regional-specific assistance information is reported by the executive branch. In the 1980s, for example, state and DOD principals routinely testified side-by-side, side, as they did today, uh, and provided regional-specific assistance requests and, and reporting information broken down by security assistance and non-security assistance. Such reporting doesn't occur today, leaving appropriators, authorizers, and executive branch implementers without a clear and common operating picture of current programs, priorities, and proposals. Security assistance programs in Africa to date have had mixed results. There are some clear successes, but there are also indications of challenges related to absorption, sustainment, and accountability. The State Department's PKO budget uh, is being used as one of the primary vehicles for counterterrorism assistance in Africa and for important contingencies beyond its original beyond its origins as a peacekeeping support mechanism. Congress originally drafted PKO with broad authorities for crisis response, but may wish to re-examine uh, its current uses and scope given these trends. More broadly, it is extremely challenging to compile a comprehensive picture of how much security aid is being provided to each African country given the complex patchwork of legal authorities and programs under which the State, State Department and DOD currently operate. This poses a potential challenge to oversight efforts regarding appropriations and overarching policy issues. I uh, want to raise a couple of other potential considerations for Congress uh, today. Uh, in addressing extremist threats, to what extent should U.S. focus on improving partners' ability to meet near-term counterterrorism objectives versus longer-term efforts to counter radicalization through various development programs? 
does the current approach strike the right approach, right balance between military aid and uh, support to law enforcement and justice sector? Um, or between tactical training uh, or uh, long-term institutional development for ministries of defense um, and uh, ministers of interior? Is U.S. foreign aid to support improved governance and local service, service delivery keeping pace with security sector enhancements? While military aid can provide windows of opportunity and facilitate oper operations that shrink terrorist space, uh, if, if the host government is unable to come in and provide uh, assistance and, and uh, services to the population and improve their conditions, uh, or they're unwilling or unable to hold territory, what have we invested in? And finally, uh, what happens to U.S. security sector investments when partner government's objectives diverge from those of the United States? Many African countries face governance challenges that potent present potential risks. You've discussed a number of them today. Um, I point out that uh, some security cooperation relationships may also complicate the United States' ability to press other foreign policy objectives, including the promotion of human rights. Notably, the administration has continued to par partner closely with the Ugandan military while stridently criticizing its record on LGBT rights. And finally, there are questions about partner nations' capacity to absorb and willingness to sustain and secure security assistance. You've raised a question about this. In Africa, these challenges are particularly pronounced. Donor-funded security assistance rivals or outweighs the defense budgets of some of our key partners. And questions arise about partners' capacity to secure equipment transfers, which may present additional risks, as we saw in Mali, where soldiers who had defected to insurgent or terrorist groups in 2012 reportedly took equipment provided the United, provided the United States with them. Recent developments in Iraq and Yemen highlight the inherent dangers in defense transfers to fragile states. Um, I'll stop here and thank you for your attention. I look forward to your questions. Thank you. Thank you for that testimony. We touched on some of what was uh, spoken on before. Let me follow up on that. Uh, what uh, differences exist between the reporting done by State Department and reporting done by uh, DOD? That's more robust, I think, with DOD and, and what uh, needs to change to give us a better picture and be able to, uh, as you mentioned, uh, look at uh, some return on investment. The reporting requirements are different. Um, some of that may be uh, in part because some of the DOD authorities are newer. Um, when, uh, when they were created, they were created specifically with these reporting requirements. For Section 1206 and, and GSCF, for example, the Global Security Contingency Fund, which are two of the uh, larger uh, DOD building partner capacity <laughs> initiatives, Global Train and Equip, you, there's a lot of, uh, lot of lingo that goes along with these acronyms. Um, those reports require uh, specific country breakdowns. They require uh, identification of units to be trained, identification of specific uh, equipment, um, ammunition transfers, um, whereas on the State Department side, particularly for some of the PKO programs, uh, you don't get that level of, of breakdown. For the uh, GPOI program, the Global Peacekeeping Operations Initiative, um, the, when State Department notifies, they notify uh, with, with fairly large lump sums, um, with a, a large description description of the types of equipment, or not the types of equipment, that there will be equipment provided, possibly ammunition, uh, types of training. Um, and then they will list, uh, depending on the program, five to 20 countries. Um, that's not always the case. Sometimes there are direct sort of country-specific notifications, um, but the level of detail is greater in the DOD program, in the DOD notifications. The DOD notifications also, by the way, uh, indicate past related uh, assistance, both from DOD and from the State Department. So they give uh, a better sense of sort of the picture of overall security assistance engagement on, on these initiatives. 
We've seen uh, over time uh, a decrease in State Department assistance and uh, increase in in defense uh, funding. Um, is that a function of uh, where it's easiest to get the money, um, or is there a strategic uh, reason for that? What's your assessment? Well, State Department security assistance, at least to Africa, has, has been rising. Um, I, I, I can't uh, say that that's the same for democracy and governance assistance or, or some of those efforts. Um, but, uh, I should say, I guess the, uh, the uh, defense has risen much faster, put it that way. Defense is rising faster. These are newer authorities, um, and they do reflect uh, a changing perception of the use of security <coughs> assistance by DOD and by congressional authorizers and appropriators uh, about the appropriate role of DOD in providing that assistance. Um, but, but yes, um, as, as, as very much indicated by the CTPF in particular, but also the growth of 1206, um, those are larger sums of money. Than, than the State Department is potentially going to be dealing with. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the problem of uh, some of our military hardware ending up, uh, you know, with uh, in the wrong hands. Um, how prevalent has that been in Africa? Um, obviously, we're seeing it in Iraq uh, in a big way. Um, some of the training uh, mentioned in the previous panel, some of the folks that we've trained then move on uh, and go to the dark side, if you will. Um, what uh, what do we know in terms of military hardware that's ended up uh, uh, with those who want to bring down the governments that we support? Well, in the public domain, reporting on this is, is pretty challenging. We rely on groups like the Small Arms Survey and, and other independent monitoring groups uh, to report on uh, weapons, ammunition, um, origins that when they find them. Um, so, so a lot of this is, is anecdotal. Um, we, we, do, we do, for both State Department and DOD, have end user monitoring requirements. I think there is probably some debate about the extent to which those are really stringently followed up, particularly in the case of some of the smaller transfers. Um, it is easier to monitor whether or not uh, a foreign military is, is keeping track of its helicopters than it is um, small things uh, you know they, they do track particularly uh, for example with Amazon um, serial numbers of weapons uh, in the early years of Amazon you did have uh, diversion uh, and I think that that has been something that State Department has worked pretty hard to address um, but uh, willingness of partner nations to have their stocks routinely monitors is difficult, and uh, we do have some cases on the continent where uh, the State Department and DOD have found that our partner nations have not been um, uh, securing equipment, important equipment that we, in the way that we would like to see it. With Nigeria now uh, looking like they'll be more cooperative and uh, more willing to work on security, um, what should we be concerned about going ahead? It, it looks as if Given uh, the rise of Boko Haram, there's a need uh, to help there with a willing government, which we haven't had, a capable government uh, to work with. Um, as we launch into uh, probably ro more robust partnerships there, uh, what are some of the things we need to keep in mind and start from the beginning? Sure. Well, 
President Buhari uh, faces a number of challenges in, in turning the ship around on, on the military effort against Boko Haram. Um, human rights abuses, such as those raised in the Amnesty International report, are, are, are a very important part of that. Um, there are a number of very senior uh, Nigerian military officials that were named in that report, um, uh, some of whom attended his inauguration. Um, and I think it'll be telling to see how quickly he uh, deals with the charges against those individuals and proceeds potentially with, um, with cases against them. Um, uh, beyond the human rights abuses, which is a very serious challenge and, and apparently fairly widespread in the Northeast, there are um, very serious questions about corruption within the security forces. Um, this is something that President Buhari has a, a, uh, put a lot of attention uh, and rhetoric into, but it is going to be very difficult for him to turn that around uh, in a way that ensures that uh, guns and ammunition and protective gear are getting out to the front to the front lines, um, but it is something that he has he has committed to. Um, I think the challenge in terms of UN's, U.S. engagement is how quickly do we engage, um, knowing that those processes, both on the corruption side and human rights side, could take a little while to take effect. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You mentioned your testimony, um, the difficulty in uh, working uh, along with partners who we have problems with on human rights on another side. How? We do that everywhere in the world, obviously. Uh, you can't always pick your partners. Uh, is this a more difficult scenario in Africa uh, than, than elsewhere? I can't say whether it's more difficult in Africa than it is elsewhere. But we've seen examples over in the, the Horn, particularly with uh, South Sudan, and Uganda, and some of the other partner countries. That's been a difficult arrangement. I, I think some of the um, some of the biggest challenges and concerns uh, center around cases where human rights abuses by security forces um, may uh, undermine some of our very strategic objectives. Um, uh, Kenya is is a case that comes to mind, um, where allegations against uh, law enforcement officials in the context of anti-terrorism operations. Um, have created uh, a public perception that Al-Shabaab uses uh, for recruitment and radicalization. Um, and the extent to which the United States is associated with that assistance and with that engagement with those units um, poses a challenge, and those alleged abuses also contribute to the extremist narrative. Right. Well, thank you. Uh, Chairman Markey is uh, detained elsewhere, and so he won't be able to uh, offer any questions. but. Uh, He's read the testimony and uh, appreciate your service and your testimony here today. And uh, we'll certainly be following up um, as we uh, look for ways to, to uh, have reporting, at least, that uh, will allow us to better do our job here and protect uh, the taxpayers' money and make sure that we have return on investment that uh, we're expected to have. So thank you for your testimony here today. And uh, this hearing is adjourned.